this morning, I want to just pick up on where we were teaching last Sunday. Last Sunday, if you've got your Bible with you, I want you to open it up. We're going to, um, the 23rd Psalm. We started there, a Psalm written by King David. And um, we, we started to look at the goodness of God. As a, as a lead-in this morning, though, most of us are running around at the moment um, hearing narratives and even experiences of adverse conditions. I mean, this week the Federal Treasurer got up and he, he was um, sharing with us the economic outlook of the nation and how we're going about doing that. Thursday night, the leader of the opposition got up and gave his narrative and response to that. The Queensland government is on the news every night of the week, jumping up and down, saying that we've got a, a, a crisis with regards to homelessness, youth uh, crime and domestic violence. Our interest rates are on the rise and everyone's on edge. And most people would personalise that down to this word. These are adverse times. In other words, they're not comfortable, they're difficult and they're challenging and yet we're all somehow having to navigate it. And I want to just, we're going to lean into this psalm this morning, the 23rd Psalm, King David's Psalm. But I want you to bring with it everything that you right now in this season personally would say is an adverse situation. That, you know, the stuff that was in the forefront of your mind last night when you were trying to sleep. You know, the stuff that's nagging at you. The stuff that's relentlessly pushing at you saying, this is an adverse situation or an adverse time. See, some days it seems as though we're just unable to catch our breath. We're just unable to get through, break through, find a way. Or... As soon as we do find a way, all of a sudden someone changes the, the playing field and we find ourselves going, hang on a minute, the goalpost's moved. I want it to go back over there. I don't want it over there now. I want the goalpost back over here. We find ourselves constantly in adverse situations and even conditions um, and they're coming to us, that adversity is coming to us from different places. Some of it's coming to us from um, very natural things and natural world experiences. Some of them are coming from personal relational circumstances of brokenness or fears. And um, we also need to hold in tension the reality that we're living in a supernatural reality. So while there's very natural adverse things, we're also living in a supernatural reality where there's an adversary at work behind a whole bunch of circumstances that we're trying to navigate as well. And along with that adversary comes all sorts of dark spiritual powers that are busy trying to oppress people and keep us in the place of living with an adverse mentality rather than moving through adversity in the generosity and the goodness of our loving and living God as we navigate them differently to what the world would be navigating them. Jesus himself, he said it in John 16, 33. He said, in your world, in this world that we all live, you will have trouble. 
you will navigate adversity. It, it's, it's natural, it's spiritual, and it's also in the background behind some of that adversity is the adversary who is at work. King David experienced a life of adversity, and both you and I and Jesus understand what it means to live in the context of a troublesome life. Let's grab our psalm, Psalm 23. We'll go to the next slide if we could, thanks. Hey, uh, 23rd Psalm, why don't we all just stand up together and we're going to read this psalm out loud together like we did last week. You know, when the scriptures were read, they were a community read, they were a community experience. They were something that the people of God, when they were originally written, they did together. So let's, let's read this out loud together. 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Take a seat. Take a seat. It's a good practice to read the Scriptures out loud with others. With others, whether you're doing it with your kids, whether you're doing it with your spouse, whether you're doing it at at small group time, read the Scriptures together. Read them out loud. Read them together. King David had a whole bunch of adversity that he was walking through when he wrote this psalm or in light of, he wrote this psalm in light of the adversity that he walked through. Part of it was um, him having to deal with his own sin-based issues where he took another man's wife and had that man killed and then um, took that wife, that, that lady to become his own wife. He then also had bearing the fruit of some of that sin, but not through that woman, but through one of his other wives, had a son, and his name was Absalom. And his son grew up, and he, his, uh, well, he had, he had these sons to different wives because he had a number of wives. And as a result of that, there's all these half-brothers and sisters. And then there was this one brother took an interest in his half-sister, and his half-sister was not interested in the half-brother at all, but the half-brother overpowered her and raped her. And and as a result of that, one of the other brothers, he got got a real sense of um, anger towards dad, towards David, because David didn't do anything about it. And this brother that got really cranky about it, his name was Absalom, and um, Absalom actually, because he looked at his dad and he thought his dad was passive, Absalom thought, I'm going to take this into my own hands and I'm going to become the king because my, David, my dad is um, absolving his responsibility as a father 
end as a king, and so I'm going to become the king, and I'm going to do a better job than him. And as a result of that, Absalom sort of stepped out of town for a while, and then he built a bit of a posse of, of, um, of community sort of support, and he was starting to get a bit of a, an uprising of people behind him. And in the end, he was coming into town to go to war with his own dad, with David. And what happened was David's, David's um, soldiers said to him, David, don't, don't go and fight your son. You stay home. We'll go and deal with him. And David said, please be, please be um, gentle with my son. And anyway, what happened was Absalom's riding along on a horse and his, and his hair, his long hair got caught in a tree, believe it or not, a low-hanging tree. And um, as a result of that, he came off his horse and then he was kind of hanging there in the air and David's soldiers came up and just speared him in the heart. Even after David had said, please don't do anything to dam- hurt my son. And then they came back to say, your enemy is dead. Absalom has been killed. So <clears throat> David's dealing with adversity that is within him because of his own sin with taking another man's wife, his own passivity because of his own brokenness, not dealing with his sons and their wrong behavior towards his, his half-son and half-daughter or their step-daughter and step-brother uh, and sister. David's internal adversity left him in a place of passivity. He also had an external adversity. He had an uprising that was coming against him to take his life, and more than that, it was coming from one of his own sons. So when David writes... God, you set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This gives us a little bit of a picture of what he means when he says enemies. He's talking about the enemy within that he needs deliverance from. And he's also talking about the enemy without that is living against him, in powers against him. David's experience of adversity and adversary That word simply means enemy, means adversary. It means an antagonist, someone who's opposed to, something that's hostile toward you. David's experience and ours is this constant contest to seeing whether or not we will follow God, be his disciples, and overcome the antagonizing work, the oppressive work, the hostile work of the kingdoms of darkness both around us and when we don't deal with our sin at work within us. Where is the adversity in your life right now? The stuff that's within that you refuse, that we refuse to deal with because we don't understand who our loving God is and where is the adversity coming from that is around you at the same time. But it's into this context of adversity. If we go to the next slide, thanks um, Isaac. Next one, I'll jump to the next one, thanks. There we go. It's in the context of David wrestling for spiritual life and freedom inside and outside that he realizes that God is a God who comes to him like a shepherd. 
So David understands like shepherd imagery. Of course, if you don't know his backstory, he grew up in the, being a shepherd. He, he, he knew what it meant to look after sheep. He grew up in the fields. And he, and he realized that, the, that God is this loving shepherd king. Even though he's going through all of this adversity, God is committed to coming towards David to preparing a place of generosity for David. Our sin and our brokenness within, and even the stuff that is around us, is not a disqualifier from the generosity of God reaching us right in the midst of our adversity. In fact, it is right there at the crucible of this that David says, God prepares a table for us to meet with him. Now, normally when we think we're doing the naughty stuff in here and we're dealing with the powers around us, we tend to think if I come up before God, he's going to give me a smack on the hand. But that's because we're overlaying all of our own historical familiar stuff onto God. We're not actually looking at the revelation of who God is. The revelation of who God is, is he says, when you're in the crosshairs of all of that, I'm going to come to you as the God King, the Shepherd King, who who prepares a meeting place, and the meeting place is the table of a king. And the table of a king is one of obscene generosity. I mean obscene generosity. Way beyond. Way beyond. I don't know if you like it, but I, I love it. I love it every time I get to have dinner with people and we sit around the table. I love the opportunity to share life around a dinner table. And even times when we go like and we get together with people at kinship groups and sometimes we think, have we, are we going to have enough? And we get there and somehow in the generosity of the Spirit of God in the moment, there's always, there's always enough. There's always enough. And I, so I love it when I get to set the table, when I get to be the host, when I get to set the mood, set the music, set the environment, set the welcome. I love that. This is the heart of God. The heart of God through you and through I, through people like you and I, he invites us, it's time to partner with him to set a table for all of the people that we know and love who are dealing with adversity at this time. Satisfaction. I don't, you know, usually satisfaction for me after a good meal and good company is that I, you know, I usually have to loosen the belt a notch. And then usually the table, the table is, and the kitchen is just overflowing with just plates and cups and everything's been used. Every tool and instrument's been used to provide a great evening. And I love that. This is a, this is a picture of what our God is like. Our God says to us, come to me because I want to set before you a generous moment where your every physical, spiritual, mental, relational, uh, economic need is going to be met if you would just come to the table and meet with me. King David's experience of the goodness of God, it led him to write this, this psalm. And it's a psalm of festive proportions, right in the thick of when it, you would naturally look at it and go, 
they're, they're, this, is a, this is an adverse moment. But if you listen to, um, if you listen to uh, this picture here that David's painting in the Psalms, after David came um, Isaiah, and I'm just trying to remember this, the reference. I think it's about Isaiah 23. I haven't got it written in front of me here. But Isaiah was one of the great prophets that came after David but before Jesus. So David says, Our God King, our shepherd God King provides a table for us of his generous proportions. Come to him. And then then Isaiah, one of the great heavyweights of the prophetic world of Israel, he comes along, and I think it's in 23 somewhere about verses 6 to 8. I, don't quote me on that. I'll have to go back and check it. But he says a very similar thing, that on Zion God will re- reestablish his kingdom into the earth and all of the hungry and the poor can come and there will be generosity for anyone who would come into that, into Zion, into the goodness of God. And then Jesus comes along, Jesus comes along in, uh, in Matthew chapter uh, 22 and someone says to him, what's the kingdom of God like? And, and Jesus says, well, the kingdom of God is at hand and the kingdom of God is like a king who prepares a wedding banquet for people and then says, come, come, come and eat, come and enjoy. You're all invited. So Jesus takes this understanding of David's. He takes the prophetic promise of God and then Jesus earths it and says, hey, anyone that wants relationship with God as the generous God, come to me and it'll be like a wedding table, a wedding banquet right in the middle of all of the adverse realities that you're going through. Not only is it God's delight to prepare a table for us, but if we can go to the next slide, thanks Isaac. The next slide is, David also says, you anoint my head with oil. One of the things that if we pick up the shepherd sheep illustration again, um, David David understands that as being a shepherd, one of the thing you would do, things you would do with your sheep at night is you would find a, a, a safe pen to, out in the fields to put them in and then the shepherd would usually sleep across the gate so that no, one, no sort of other animals could get through and attack the sheep at night time. But one of the other things that the shepherd would do is he would go into where all the sheep were and he would just start to anoint all of the wounds that the sheep were carrying from their journeys, from their sojourns, from their travels. The shepherd's job was to anoint the sheep, to, to bring healing to the wounds where they've, they've been wounded on the journey. Not only, so there's the shepherd sheep illustration, but then there's the anointing of the head illustration where David is literally being reminded of what happened when he was anointed as king. When God says, my favor's on you, it's never going to lift off, David. My spirit is upon you. It was that moment where he was anointed as king. But then he also talks about just being a, a really helpful hospitable person of the kingdom of God, when anyone would come into your home, you would anoint them. Your journey's been long. You're arriving with wounds and it's been adverse and difficult. Come. Come into the generosity of my home, as big or as small as it is. 
come to the generosity of my house and I will anoint you. I will, I'll pray that this is a moment of God's healing for all of the journey's wound, the wounds of the journey that have come upon you. And you would be anointed. It was the, it was the servant role. It was not just the kingly role. It was the servant role. God invites us to be anointed by him for the wounds, to bring renewal, to bring life. This anointing had a sense of healing, peace, security, provision, guidance, and blessing. So much so, David says there a bit further on, he says, my cup, it's overflowing. My cup is overflowing. If anyone else came to me in this situation, my cup would be empty, empty, empty. They would not treat me as my 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 condition deserves. But the generosity of God invites me to this place where now, even knowing all that I am and all that I've done and all of the adversity, God anoints me and my cup overflows. Is your cup overflowing? Jesus then picks up this illustration for for you and me who are the people of of um, you know living in the the post death and resurrection of Jesus revelation where Jesus in John 13 in his leading up to the cross he gets with his disciples they're having dinner together no one no one in the room picks up the servant role so Jesus does in John 13 Jesus picks up the servant role. He puts a towel around his waist and then he goes and washes his disciples' feet. And the, the scriptures, John 13 tells us, it says, now Jesus shows them the full extent of his love and he anoints them. Anoints them. Washes them. Heals them. Even as he's on his way to the cross. See, God is in the business of bringing renewal to our life. Freedom to our life. The full extent of his love to our life. He is a wonderful God. The next slide, thanks Isaac. In this next slide, you'll just see, surely goodness and mercy, or love and mercy will follow me, follow meal all the days. <laughs> meal the days of my life. I was obviously caught up thinking about my next meal, um, which is going to be a good one at about midday. Um so, uh, and it's going to be pretty generous. Hang on, let me get back to this. But surely God's goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. You see, this, this is the, the searching heart of God for his lost creation, for his lost children. This is what God's always been about. I, I I remember the few times that you know in in our parenting story where we you know when our kids were little and and we we lost them at various places and public spaces and stuff and and it was like you know we found them eventually and the the thing we had to wrestle through was like I'm so cross at you <laughs> why couldn't you just sort of stayed where we were meant to stay and and yet I'm so thankful that you've been found all at the same time. <laughs> Well, in the goodness of God, David is realizing here that surely God's goodness and love, it says there, will follow me all the days of my life. Unfortunately, when we read that in the English, it's kind of like we see a, have a sense of God sort of like 
you know, two steps behind us as I'm just following along. But that's not the understanding of what David's writing there. What David's writing there is, wherever I am going, wherever I am moving, God is in hot pursuit of me. He is, ch- he is chasing me down in every decision. He is chasing after me with his, with his will for every choice and thought that I'm trying to process, every desire and longing. He's, he's pursuing me with his love and his mercy and his goodness for, for the way I'm going about being a good employee. He's, he's deeply engaged. He's after us. David's saying, surely, surely his love and his goodness, it is in hot pursuit of me. Everywhere I turn, God is there chasing me down with his love and favor. This is the very nature of God. He is the God who pursues people with relentless love. And this is, this is like an echo. Psalm 23, David's realizing it. He grew up, you know, understanding that the, the, the Genesis account in Genesis 3, where it all goes really poorly, where Adam and Eve, they eat the wrong fruit, they disobey God, sin enters into the scene, the whole thing gets catastrophized. And then Adam and Eve, they are full of shame, and so they run and they hide in a bush. And the, the, the scriptures tell us, what does God do? Well, God comes to them and his cry is, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? And if you read on a little bit before, they go from the bush. We're hiding over here because of our sin and our shame. We knew we did the wrong thing by you. But God still came after them. His heart is always to rescue. His heart is always to raise up. His heart is always to redeem and to bring new life. This is the heart of the God of King David. That David realized with all of the internal adversity, all of the external spiritual adversity, and even having his own son come after him to try and kill him, in the midst of all of that, he realized God's after me. And he wants to bring renewal to my life. And not just today because I'm behaving, and not tomorrow because I do another dumb thing, but every single waking and sleeping moment, God's after me in hot pursuit with his love and goodness. God's after you. He's pursuing you and you. He wants you every moment of every day. He's coming after you. If the voices of adversity are louder and condemning, it's time to turn the volume of those down and turn our ear back to the revelation of the Scriptures, of who God truly has made himself known to be. This psalm is not just about David's experience, but we're even told about this. It's about the nature of who God is. It's the reality of a relationship that in the middle of everything that's physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, relationally, and economically difficult or adverse, It's right there that King David invites us all to join him at the place where the God King, the Shepherd King, who now revealed in Jesus, who said it's like a king making a banquet for everyone to come, is saying, I'm here for you. I'm pursuing you. I'm after you no matter what. And in the very 
closing words of Jesus in his resurrected state. He's died, buried, risen again, run around for a bunch of days, preaching on the kingdom of God. And then as he's about to be ascended to be with the Father, the scriptures tell us his parting words in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you to the very end of the age. It's got nothing to do with our behavior. Hello? This is the promise of the God who rescues, the rescuing God, the searching God, the God who's coming after everyone and everything to make it all right and new. This is his word, not some, you know, add-on. This is his heartfelt, life-lived promise to all of us. God is after us. Is your cup overflowing? Lastly, let's finish with this last one. If we go to the next slide, thanks, um, Isaac. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How's that? We sang that song this morning, Dwell in the Mister. We did not compare any notes, not once. The Spirit of the Lord is among us. He's trying to underline something of who he is if our hearts would just be given over to saying, I think I see you. I think I hear you. David's word there in verse 6, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This idea of dwelling, it's a very interesting word. It actually, um, it's, it, it, it actually firstly means this, to be able to keep your attention fixed. I have a hard enough time keeping my attention fixed for more than 15 seconds these days. Keeping our attention fixed, focused, fastened onto, given. This is what the word dwell means. David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will keep, as a result of this generosity of God, inviting me to his rescuing, um, generous table. Even though my life doesn't deserve it, he, st- he redeems me, he heals me, he restores me. Into this place, I am given over to fixing my life onto this forever and a day. Forever and a day, never taking my eyes off it. Forever I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Give your attention. Fix your attention. It's both that capacity and it is also at the same time David saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to literally set up for myself an abode right here. It's kind of like, that's my seat at this generous table. You ain't getting it because that's mine. I'm making an abode for myself right here. There's room for you at the table, but you're not taking my seat. There's room for everyone at the table, but that's my seat. David's saying, I am building a camp. I am dwelling in that spot forever. Doesn't matter what life will bring, what the adversary 
the adversity is or the one behind that, the adversary, what he brings. No, no, no. You will always find me right there in that seat in the generosity of the God who rescues. Is that where you're living? Is that where you're dwelling? Is that where you're dwelling from? God invited David, and now he invites you and me into a place where we can now know where our home is in adverse times. Where our place is. You might even have the words of Dorothy running around in your head right now in her little red shoes when she would click them together. There's just no place like home. There is no place like home. In the adversity of that dream that she got caught up in in the Wizard of Oz, she was like, get me home, get me home, get me home. King David is saying, I, this is my home now. No matter what I'm going through, I live here and I live from here. Are we living from the generosity of God's love towards us? Or are we a little bit like the, uh, when Jesus told that um, parable? Are we a little bit like the son who demanded his inheritance and went and squandered it for a quick fix? Even so, Jesus told that parable in Luke 15 because he wanted people to come home. It's always, it's always been David saw it, David lived it, David experienced it, even in the mess of everything that was his life. And yet the, the historical accounts tell us of the massive generosity of the goodness of God through that very broken person that blessed a nation and touched a world. That even there... Jesus then comes along and picks up that same illustration and he says, here, Luke 15, here, come home. Stop trying to live an adverse-free life by eating pig swill and come home to your father who loves you. But between the pig swill and the father's love, there is a journey to be made. And God beckons us from the gate. Luke 15, 17 says this. When this young son came to his senses and he said, How many of my father's hired people? They've got food to spare. None, and look at me. Here I am starving to death in my adverse conditions and under the oppression of the adversary. I'm, go, I'm, I'm going to sell out everything. I'm going back to my father. I'm going back to my father. And as he arrives at home, as he's coming into the sights of the father who was at the gates, waiting, looking, where are you? Genesis 3, Jesus tells the parable in Luke 15. The father's still, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Saying, come home. He sees the father. The father runs to him. The father 
undignified, lifts up his, 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 um, his gowns and exposes his feet. Culturally, no, no. But Jesus says our God is not interested in his reputation. He is interested in loving people back into his kingdom and therein demonstrating his reputation. Hello. Hello. He lifted up his, his, his dress a little and he ran to his son. He ran to his son and his son says to him, Dad, Father, I have sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven and I am no longer worthy to be called a son. And the father says, shh, 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 quick, quick, quickly, quickly. Shh, it's okay, son, quickly, as he holds him. He says, quick, to all the servants that are listening, quick, now bring my best robe and put it on my son. Don't get the spare ones that we've thrown out the door to St. Vinny's or the Mercy Center. Get my top shelf gear. Hello, get my top shelf gear. My son has come home. Go get into my jewelry box. You know where all the good family jewels are, the, one, the ones that are going to be, the ones that get handed down and down and down. My undeserving, my broken son has come home. I am giving him the spoils. He thought he had his inheritance and he blew it. No, no, no. He's home. He's home in my generosity. Put the best ring on his finger, fresh sandals on his feet. Now go, get out into those fields. Find the biggest, fattest, most tasty looking beast and slaughter that thing. We are going to eat. We're going to fill the table. We're going to enjoy the generosity. My son is at home. From the time when Adam and Eve ran and hid and God said, where are you? So even through Jesus' words, he's saying, this is what the kingdom of God is now like. A father who waits for his children to come home. And his words, for this son of mine was dead, but now he's alive again. He was lost and he's now found. This morning, friends, the goodness of our God, the God of King David, revealed to us now in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, beckons us to come to the table. Come to the table of the Lord, the generosity of the God of rescue. Come home. Come home. If there's one gift that we, as the Jesus people, can give to our families and our community and to our world is an invitation to come home. And if you don't know how to introduce someone to Jesus, Just open your dinner table. It's that simple. Put some food on it and share some life. And in the goodness of God, the generosity of your love toward another, the kingdom comes and people will find their lives renewed, restored and made whole all because of the generosity of God through our simple acts and words of deeds. Some of you in the room this morning might be here and you're thinking, you know what? I need to make my abode the table of God. I need, to, I need to live from the generosity of God rather than be driven by the adversity that is within me and around me.
and being responding to that. Rather, living from this love of God. I'm going to pray for you in a minute. And there's going to be an opportunity for you to actually come home. Come to your senses. Jesus say, hey, shake that thing off. Just like, I don't, <laughs> I've got a picture running through my head right now. Shake that thing off. Every morning when I go for a walk with my dog, at the end of the walk, I start hosing her. She loves the hose. Loves the hose game. We play the hose game for a while, for five minutes, while she cools down. But at the end of it, have you ever seen a dog shake themselves? Well, anyway, I filmed her shaking herself, and I watched it in slow-mo, like slow-mo. And you see her whole body just shaking, like just shaking, and all this water just spraying off her. It's like, come to your senses, like shake it off. Shake all that adversity off. The kindness of God is here for you today. And here for me. Today, Romans 8, 31, 32, as we finish. And that last slide, thanks, um, Isaac. What then shall we say in response to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? The goodness of God. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. And we thank you for um, just, wow, the, the, just that life of David and the story of David and how it's been captured in your scriptures, Lord, it's, I've got to say, Lord, it's really confronting and beautifully refreshing all at the same time. I'm so thankful, so thankful, Lord, that you work with people just like us. And I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, you come and you would touch every single life in this room with the generous invitation of the God who rescues, the Shepherd King, the Shepherd King. The one who anoints our wounds with healing. Come, Lord. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. You prepare a table before us, Lord. You anoint us with oil. Thank you that there's a, an abode for me there at your table. just want to give an opportunity right now. If you would like to come to the table of God, if all of the adversity that's both within you and around you has been dominating the narrative of your life and you want to step out of that adversity and you want to step into the generous invitation of God and come to his table that he's set before you, 
that is prepared for you just for this very moment because he knew you would be here today. He says, come to the table. So I want to invite you, if you would like to come and, and come to, to God today and step into his generous love for you, I, want, I just want to make this space up the front here open to you right now and say, come and just come and stand with me at the table. Come and, come and stand at the table. And by doing this, we're saying, hey, Lord, I think I'm thanking you for your love towards me. I'm hearing your invitation to me. And I thank you that I see all of that, both in David and especially in your son's Jesus Christ, come to the table. You want to step away from living under the adversity and you want to live from the generous rule of God in your life. Come to the table. Just come on out the front. There was, there's, there's healing for people at the table. Like, you know the stuff that you walked in here with today that's been wounding you and hounding you, whether it's both a spiritual thing, a relational thing, a physical thing. There is healing. The king wants to anoint you with his healing today. He is the servant God. He has come to minister healing to you today. Just, you want some healing? Come to the table. Holy Spirit, just come to the table. While those, while you're just those of us that are here at the front, I just want to pray for you, Holy Spirit. I pray for a, a wonderful encounter right now for every single person that's at at the front, particularly right now. I pray, God, that you would be the one who would come to them right now and you would anoint them. By your Holy Spirit. Let the anointing of the Holy Spirit come on your lives right now. In the name of Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit. Let there be healing in your bodies. Let there be renewal and restoration to your lives. And may there be deliverance from the power of adversity. In Jesus' name, we break the powers of the work of the adversary over your life. And in Jesus' name, we set you free to be able to enjoy the bounty of God's goodness for your life. 